Hey, before we get started, just a quick reminder that this show exists because people support it financially. If you've already donated to Depression Mode, thank you. You are making something that is going out into the world, and it is helping people. If you have not yet donated, don't worry about it. It's easy to do. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join, and then select a level that works for you. Find a level that you're comfortable giving at, and then select Depression Mode from the list of shows, and you are then one of the people making this show possible. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate your contributions. A note to our listeners, this episode contains mentions of suicide. It's Depeche Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. Yes, I said Depeche Mode. Blasphemous rumors. You die and God laughs at you because of his sixth sense of humor. Well, that's depressing. But is it on our list of great depressing music? That's on the show today. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. Optimistic Rhett Miller music. We're taking a tour of some achingly depressing songs today, and we have three top music experts to guide us through. So grab a hanky and possibly your dancing shoes. It's going to be a weird episode. Stephen Hyden is a culture critic for Uproxx and the author of six books about popular music. We reached out to him for his picks. Stephen Hyden, welcome to Depression Mode. Uh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. We have given you an assignment to find, in, in your vast musical knowledge, the most depressing song or songs. And uh, I'm bracing myself, but what's on your list? Well, before we get into it, I want to make a distinction quick between sad songs and depressing songs. Thank you. I do think there's a difference. I don't use them synonymously. Like Like, for me, a great song can be a sad song, but all bad songs are depressing songs. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, to me, a bad song is a song that doesn't make you feel anything, which to me is what depression is. It's a feeling of numbness. It's a feeling of being dead inside. That's how I experience it. Whereas a sad song to me is the opposite of that. It makes you feel something intensely. And if it's a really effective sad song, it'll actually make you cry. And what happens when a person cries? Well, afterward, they feel better. You know, there's a catharsis that happens. And the things that are inside of you get let out. And in some way, you could say that the song is a form of therapy when people listen to it. And that is why I think people are drawn to sad songs. It's something that allows them to activate a part of themselves that maybe can't be activated any way else. So that to me is the difference between a sad song and a, and a depressing song. So the songs I picked are sad because I think okay. they're great, but they're not depressing to me necessarily. So depressing would be like mid-career starship kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. You're you're in a you're in a airport bar by yourself <laughs> and uh, the song from Mannequin comes on.
that to me is depressing. You know, yeah. you know, listening to uh, you know Elliot Smith or something to me is sad. Right. You know, that's the difference there. Okay. Well, let's talk about these emotionally potent sad songs then. Uh, <laughs> where did you go with this assignment? Um, I picked two songs, and the first song to me is the saddest song I've ever heard, and that is Tecumseh Valley by Towns Van Zandt. I don't know if you're familiar with this song. Yes. <laughs> yes. Where the name she gave was Caroline, the daughter of a miner. And her ways were free, and it seemed to me the sunshine walked beside her. I could have picked like a dozen songs by Towns Van Zandt. Yeah, sure. But uh, this song in particular, uh, well, this is the the plot of this song. There's a woman named Caroline who is described as this beautiful free spirit. And uh, she decides she's going to move to this small coal mining town to get a job. I think it's to support her father. And she ends up getting a job in a bar. And things are going okay for a while. And then her father dies. And this shatters the woman. And uh, she ends up being a sex worker uh, on the streets. And in the last verse of the song... Uh, they find her body beneath the stairs leading to the bar and she has a note in her hand that says fare thee well Tecumseh Valley so it's an, it's implied that she has taken her own life or perhaps she's been murdered What either one of those uh, might have been what uh, befell her so yeah not exactly a toe tapper of a song here <laughs> not exactly a prom theme <laughs> yeah it's an extremely grim Song, but to circle back to what I was saying before, it is a song that when I listen to it, I it does get an emotional reaction from me. Uh, one because of the power of the storytelling coming from Towns Van Zandt, uh, and two because of the beauty of the song. It's a beautiful song, and there is something about songs that depict these bleak situations where it can be elevated into something else that isn't just a literal sort of retelling of the story. Even in this terrible situation, Towns Van Zandt is able to find something profound, something luminous in this woman's horrible tragedy. And there's something about the alchemy of the beauty and the ugliness of that song that I think is very moving. I would also say, too, just to add another layer of sadness to this song, I'm a fan of the version from the Live at the Old Quarter live album. If you're not familiar with that album, it was recorded in the early 70s, and it sounds like Towns Van Zandt is playing in front of, like, 12 people in this bar. Like, you can hear bottles clanking, you hear people coughing, Mm. and it just seems like this genius is playing these beautiful songs in front of an audience who does not care at all about what he's doing. And I think with a lot of sad songs, it's about the content that is being you know performed in the song. But I think people also connect with uh, sad people 
who are singing these songs. And there's something about Towns Van Zandt just as a person, especially if you picture him in this bar where no one cares about what he's doing. And he's just pouring his heart out. It just adds another layer of sadness that to me isn't depressing because he still perseveres. You know, he's still expressing something beautiful, even in a situation where a lot of people might just feel like, what's what's the use? Well, they found her down beneath the stairs that led to Gypsy Sally's. And in her hand when she died was an oath that cried. Fare thee well to Coopsa Valley. It's an unpeeling onion of of layers of, <laughs> of sadness that's going on here. Do you find that it, when, when something is that poignant and sad and beautiful, that it has the ability to kind of pull one out of a, a depression, the type of depression where you feel nothing? Yeah, I think so. Because again, you know, like when I think about depression, I picture being lost at sea and not being able to see the shore. You know, so you're, you're, you're wet, you're lost, and you feel as though it's always going to be like this. You know, like that is how I've, I've felt in, in times of my life where I was depressed. Whereas sadness to me is you're lost at sea, but there's something on the horizon where right. you know, like, I, if I just weather this, I will eventually be on a beach and I'll be okay. And those are two different states of mind. And I think there is something about a song that just acknowledging that there's sadness in the world and you hear someone else's sad story. And even a song like Tecumseh Valley, which is so unbelievably bleak that in a way you can say like, well, however bad my life is right now, at least I'm not the woman in this song. Like this, this is like the worst case scenario of my life. But um, it's the just, stairs that always gets me in that song. The stairs. Absolutely. And just under the stairs. Oh, I know it's, just it's a blow. It's not, it's like they couldn't, he couldn't have just let her live right. working on the streets. No, nope. there ha- she has to end up dead under the stairs. It's, the it's stairs. brutal. Um, but, uh, you know, just having a good cry over a song, I think is like, so it's such a gift. You know, mm-hmm. there, there are certain songs that I can play that I know will make me cry every single time. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing because there's, like specific moments in songs that I know are just triggers for me. Yeah. Uh, And just to know that you can be touched in that way by art, I think is a gift. I think it, it feels good to cry to songs. It's not a bad thing. It's something that I think people really need sometimes. If, if they can't get that release in any other way, Mm. you can get it from a song, you know, like, and, and that's a very, I think that's like a, that's like a, a service I think that songs can provide for people. Yeah, and Towns comes through on that one for sure. So that's Tecumseh Valley. You said there was another song that uh, that made your list. Well, yeah, this is a modern tearjerker classic. I would actually call this the top tearjerker of the 21st century so far, at least for me. And that's Elephant by Jason Isbell. She said, and you're better than your past. Winked at me and drained her glass Cross-legged on a bar stool 
it's funny. I was talking about how there's certain songs that make me cry every time, and I even know the moment when they're gonna trigger me. In Elephant, it's a weird line, and I don't know if this if this is just me, if it works for other people, but the line in the song where Jason Isbell sings, it, "Can I swear on this show?" Yes, or, you may. Okay, he sings, "If I had fucked her before she got sick, I'd never hear the end of it." If I had fucked her before she got sick. Never hear the end of it. She don't have the spirit for that now. We just drink our drinks and laugh out loud. Bitch about the weekend crowd and try to ignore the elephant somehow. Somehow. This is a song about Jason, uh, or the voice in the song, observing a friend of his who's dying of cancer. Yes. And I think the thing about that line is that it's very specific about how people process the uh, experience of being around someone who's dying. This song has special resonance for me this year because, uh, you know, this summer... uh, my dog died, which was a horrible experience for me. And then my mother-in-law died uh, like six weeks later. So oh. this, this summer was a lot of grief going on. The thing is, like when you're around someone who's dying, is all of the horrible things, all the obviously horrible things about that whole process, you know, going to the hospital or being in hospice care or just seeing the physical transformation or deterioration of someone as they're slipping away those things all get normalized like in the moment like you just get used to it it's i think it's something your brain does to help keep you sane it's the moments of levity that happen in those times that i think are more affecting like someone makes a joke or you see a flash of the person the way they used to be they have a certain they laugh or they tell a joke or whatever it is it's those moments that are almost more affecting because it breaks the illusion of normalcy you know like you see the way they used to be and then you notice again just how screwed up everything else is Mm. and i think that that is what that moment in that song is about for me like it's uh isn't so obviously heavy it's in that song so it kind of becomes the line that is more poignant for that reason. Yeah, cross-legged on a bar stool like nobody sits anymore is right in that in that same grouping, I think. Right. Yeah, just that thing of like, oh, I'm remembering what they were before this. Yeah. Um and uh and it's those memories in the midst of just grieving someone. Like that's the stuff that really kills you, I think sometimes. Yeah, there's a lot of carryover, I think, between Towns Van Zandt and Jason Isbell. There's some there's some commonality between those two. Definitely in the songwriting style. Luckily for Jason Isbell, he seems to have steered out of the personal <laughs> tragedy. Yeah, you know, like Towns, unfortunately, wasn't able to steer out of that. And Jason, he doesn't seem like he's on the path to you know, having the tragic ending anymore like he did for a long time, which is a, which is a great thing and we can look forward hopefully to many more great Jason Isbell songs but yeah I mean you know I I, I mean personal biography I think always gets wrapped up in these things uh, for better or worse Uh, you know there's so many great artists that uh, 
you know, they pass away before their time and then there's baggage that gets affixed to their songs for that reason. There's also something just about singer songwriters in general. I, 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 I know you're talking to other people for this episode. I imagine that a lot of people are probably suggesting singer songwriter type. It keeps coming up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're, 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 we're noticing a real trend towards, uh, you know, person sounding lonely with a guitar. Yeah. And, there is something about that kind of music. Well, for one thing, it's very lyrics oriented. So uh, it's easy to attach to a story when it's just one person singing to you. But I also think that, you know, people form passionate, what they call parasocial relationships with these types of artists, because there is that illusion of intimacy Mm. with someone who's seemingly singing directly to you. Uh, and they don't have a band with them. You know, there's not any kind of larger apparatus going on. It's really easy, especially when you're feeling sad or depressed, uh, to when you reach out to an artist or a record, to feel like, oh, this is something that is just being communicated to me. The song exists for me and no one else. Giving up my place in line, but I don't give a damn about that now. Well, Stephen Hyden, thank you for contributing to the playlist, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Hope I didn't make you too sad. All right, we got Towns Van Zandt and Jason Isbell on our playlist. Good start. Where will we go next? Well, we'll go to Craig Jenkins from Vulture.com for more picks. Just try to ignore the elephant somehow 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 Our bleak American bandstand continues now on Depression Mode. Craig Jenkins is a music critic for Vulture.com and New York Magazine. Craig Jenkins, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the subject is depressing songs, which uh, there's no shortage of in popular music. You only had to choose from, I guess, <laughs> most popular songs? I think about this subject a lot. Yeah, because, you know, it's not just that the, the big folky stuff is really sad but like big pop songs are often the culprit yeah you're right (laughs) right right even i mean britney spears uh my loneliness is killing me there's also there's there's despair hidden in even the most pop of music i would think i think that big miley cyrus song flowers is really depressing yeah yeah well um I I assigned you to come up with some of your favorite uh, depressing music, and uh, what uh, what have you brought to our bleak <laughs> jukebox? Um, this was unfortunately not difficult because definitely a good decade of my life was dedicated to that stuff. But um, the first the first thing that I'm thinking about today is uh, the song "Sometimes I Don't Know What to Feel" by Todd Rundgren off of his 1973 album uh, "Wizard of True Star." Sometimes I don't know 
it's a really crazy story. So he becomes successful for songs like, uh, you know, Hello, It's Me and I Saw the Light. Um, you know, these like beautiful kind of love songs. Um, but, you know, gets really into DMT and LSD and peyote and is like okay. wanting the music that he makes to represent the fractured experiences inside. All this like heady stuff. Um, you know, writes this album that is sort of like an hour of the, uh, you know, the, the jolting like so short songs of... Uh, the, of the back half of the Beatles, Abbey Road, um, and, and people, it flops. It, <laughs> it doesn't do it too well. But, you know, in the long term, it makes him, it gets him celebrated as this, uh, you know, wizard production guy. Frank Ocean has sampled it. Um, it, it worked out in time. But uh, the song, Sometimes I Don't Know What to Feel, is kind of one of my Dark Night of the Soul records, my open in case of depression records. It's kind of like approximation of Philly Soul. Uh, one of the rare, like, really longer, f fleshed out songs in that kind of patchwork quilt of a record. Um, but, you know, it's just like a long sigh about not really always understanding your purpose and, like, trying to keep going, you know, in, in the middle of the worst stuff happening. Like, it has the, on the surface, it has the energy of a drug meltdown. Like, there's ridiculous lines in there. Like, well, he's like, sometimes I don't feel so alone. Uh, but then he's like, I wonder what I would do with myself if the world was gone. Just like this ridiculous, but like, <laughs> it still feels poignant and it's still like, in a moment of uncertainty, like really resonates with me. Um, is this a song that you, you talk about uh, opening some songs up when depression comes calling for you? Is this is this one of them for you? Is it does it have a personal connection? It's one of the ones. Um, I don't know. I just find myself. It's a good record to like distract yourself from everything that you're thinking about, but then like sort of have it really float back into your face at the last. The, the songs at the end of A Wizard or True Star like really. I don't understand what what the problem with the world is kind of records at the end of this big psychedelic journey. That's not the only, you know, that's not the only thing in my, in case of case though. Like there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> Ooh, what else is in your case? I would say most recently last year, I think it was that Wilco went on on tour for Yankee hotel Foxtrot's anniversary and just anything on that record. So I come home from the show, I get back from the show, and I end up lying, staring at the ceiling on a friend's couch, like, wondering what's wrong with life. And it's just, <laughs> it's just like, well, you know, it, it, that landed right, you know, post 9-11 in that sort of doldrums 2002 era when people were, there were less jobs everywhere and the politics were absolutely awful and typifying kind of, I think, what was in everyone's heads songs like ashes of american flags where it's just a survey of a dark time in everyone's a shared dark time in everyone's lives but yeah so revisiting that last year really like 
knocked me on my face. Like for for a quick like couple of days, I was stressed out about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All my lies are always wishes. I know I would die if I could come back new. It's uh yeah, rough stuff. Like <laughs> it's rough stuff. Yeah. Um I'm I'm interested in this idea that a sad song or a depressing song um would would make somebody feel better because it does seem counterintuitive. It's it seems like it should do the opposite. That's the relationship that I have with Elliot Smith. For a long for a long time I listened to his stuff when the worst stuff was happening, but I go to it now in a place of in a better place and I have a better relationship with it. Elliot Smith's self-titled songs like uh, Alphabet Town, just like rough stuff like living in New York City and having a bad time and finding the worst aspects downtown kind of record. You know, I listen to it now and I just love the harmonica. You know, like it just it's the kind of thing that like whatever I I want to get out of it it is in it already. Like there's beautiful melodies in it. There's dark lyrics. There's you know, involving storytelling and I can focus on different aspects of it at different times and get different results for myself, I find. How much did the the death by suicide of Elliot Smith color your your experience listening to that music? To a point, it colored, I guess, my experience to a point because you go, you know, you always find yourself going back to those the music to see what's inside a person's head. But like, you know, knowing a musician that happened to has really sort of shaped my perspective about you know thinking that we can surmise what's inside someone's head you know based off of what's on the record um i was friends with mac miller and a lot of people listen to his music thinking that they can glean something from what was you know his experience of sadness but like anytime that i was in a room with him that was an upbeat guy so you never know like sometimes the music is a place where they can put all that stuff sometimes the music is just a window inside their head sometimes they're just really darkly creative you never know you talk about reprogramming yourself to Elliot Smith's music by uh, by listening to it in in different states of mind. Like, is it is it as simple as that? If you just if you go to it when you're in in a better place, does that change the music, or did you have to make some sort of conscious effort to kind of reset yourself? Making memories with it and changing your impulses to engage with it, I think, go a long way toward you know, having a different relationship with the saddest stuff that exists. I think as someone who listens to a lot of that, as someone who is big into Nine Inch Nails lately for the synths and not for the, you know, Trent Reznor's brokenheartedness and, you know, addiction stories kind of thing. You, you Like, I feel like you can zero in on different stuff that's going on in the record, but like, you know, I'm someone who writes about the music, so I'm able to sort of look at it as a, a series of parts sometimes instead of the whole by training. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm 
I wonder then about being somebody who listens to music and thinks about music and writes about music for a living as you are. Um, do you develop a kind of clinical detachment to the music after a while? Because you must encounter a lot of really intense, sad music. And how does that not get to you? If I like it, it sticks. <laughs> yeah. And if I don't, then I'm, my obligations with it are done, you know, after <laughs> the assignment comes out. Um, yeah, like that. that's just a lot of, I think, my favorite records from this year, probably on the sad spectrum, the Sufjan Stevens record, for sure, um, is one of those ones where someone's going through it and trying to find, you know, the, the light in in that time in their life so my most recent assignment is was the peter gabriel record which he, in on which he's talking a lot about you know what what you we carry with us from people when they pass and what you know work continues after them just like some of the darkest stuff i think but i found a lightness in that as well and i think that so did he and you know if he doesn't sound like freaked out about it then i shouldn't Craig Jenkins, thank you so much, and uh, I guess happy listening. Uh, or, or <laughs> happy, I will seek out something that does not take me to the darkest depths. <laughs> Emotionally resonant listening to you. <laughs> you too. You wouldn't want to throw a big celebratory party with songs from this show on the playlist unless you wanted the party to end early, I guess. So add Todd Rundgren, Wilco, Elliot Smith, Sufjan Stevens, and the new Peter Gabriel album to that list. Just ahead, Ann Powers shares her picks. In the air, the small cloud takes its form. talking about favorite incredibly depressing music. Ann Powers is a music critic and correspondent for NPR. Ann Powers, welcome to Depression Mode. I'm so excited to be here to talk about the most miserable music we can find. <laughs> What's the expression that everyone uses? You understood the assignment, I think. <laughs> it's not that I, you know, spend hours weeping while listening to my playlist, but okay, maybe maybe minutes, maybe minutes at a time. I do that. <laughs> There is, there is, you know, more than a little bit of misery to choose from in popular songs. So you, you had your work cut out for you, but, uh, but you, you focused on on a couple of songs that we want to talk about here. We could talk about so many genres uh, of music where sadness, depression, uh, wallowing are are essential. Country music definitely is one. Blues, sure. obviously, although the blues tend to transcend the wallowing. But soul, I think soul, classic soul is the absolutely best, the high point of musical wallowing. I think it's even better than, you know. The high point of the low point. Even better than opera, which we could we could definitely say involves a lot of wallowing, you know, yep, a lot of yep. lot of deathly wallowing happening on stage with operatic hero with operatic heroines. But soul music, you know, it's a realm in which sadness becomes transcended. It's the connection between soul and gospel, the root of that style of music. And and blues kind of running through it too. So you have these vocal performances that evoke various states of, of depression or, or 
melancholy, but they just go beyond, you know, the singers just go so deep and they're almost showing off, you know, and that's what I love about this, the wallowing art of soul. <laughs> the wallowing genre. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and tell us about the, the, the case of the song that, that typifies uh, what you're talking about. Well, I don't know, John, if you remember this from your youth, but I definitely remember the song Misty Blue from my, uh, I guess, tween years in in the 1970s. This okay. is this is a song that was originally written by the country songwriter Bob Montgomery and and Eddie Arnold, for example, recorded a version. Um, had success on the country charts. But in 1976, Misty Blue was recorded by Dorothy Moore, a Mississippi-based blues artist. And it's to me, it is just the apex of quiet storm, you know, the, the kind of internal, uh, mellow version of disco that got really huge in the 70s. And what I love about this song is the way Dorothy Moore delivers this lyric about not being able to get over someone. And as we listen, I just want you to focus on the phrase, but I can't, which she delivers so perfectly in the song. Such a long, long time Look like I get you off of my mind But I can't Just the thought of you Turns my whole world misty blue Ah, I know. I know. Is your whole world <laughs> turning misty blue right now? I think it might be. It, there is a bluish hue to it for sure. <laughs> well, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm reading through all these lyrics and, and listening to this song, you know, uh, deep in my heart, I know I've lied, ah. I've lied, I've lied. And the, my whole world turns misty blue. It's, it's somebody dealing with the weight of heartbreak and not coping. You know, not not functioning anyway. Like so many people, have have uh, you know deal with depression, but need to get up and go to work or need to take care of the kids, whatever it is. And this is somebody who's just like has has no choice but to just give into it. Surrender to the flow, you know. Surrender, surrender to the flow. To the, the deep murky flow. <laughs> exactly, and I think the the musical arrangement on the song. The intensity of of the the lushness of it is what really brings that home. In this song, that kind of deep sadness becomes sensual, enjoyable. You know. Yeah, yeah. What do you attest? I mean, we we know from from science. Science tells us that that people uh, feel better after listening to sad music. Mm, um, interesting. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a few reasons. One is identification, simple identification, right? Like, I have had the experience. Maybe, let's think of me. Why not use me as an example, John? I think <laughs> right, I'm a good one. Sure. So, you know, when I first heard this song, I was probably like 12, 13 years old. 
I had a very huge unrequited crush on Paul McCartney. And guess what? He didn't know who I was. He didn't know I existed. Mm. What a shock, really. <laughs> but my crush on Paul McCartney was painful. And I think when I heard this song as a, as a tween, I felt I could identify with this idea that Dorothy Moore is getting across it. Sadness fills my whole world because Paul McCartney will never know who I am, you know? <laughs> So I think that's one reason. And the other reason, I think, is what people call entrainment, which is usually used to talk about the connection to rhythm, how music occupies your body. And I feel with a slow, sad song, music just washes into your body. And is that a cleansing? Or maybe it's like more like a floating down the river. It relaxes you in a weird way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh... It's it's a it's a wallowing like you say, but yeah. there's there's some treading water in it. Yeah, there's, there's, and the vo- there's some floating. Yeah, and the vocals, you know, the vocals in a song like Dorothy Moore's Misty Blue or another great wallowing song, Stevie Wonder's I Never Dreamed You'd Leave in Summer, maybe the most wallowing of all wallowing songs. The vocals are so are artful that you enjoy the performance, and it kind of can turn maybe your own grief into uh, the subject of a performance. I don't know. It allows Mm. for a strange kind of distance as well. Um, Enacting sadness by singing along with a sad song allows you to kind of step outside of it for a moment. Or is that crazy? I don't know. It's it's just crazy enough. It's just crazy (laughs) enough to work. That's my theory. (laughs) All right. So we've got Dorothy Moore and we've got Misty Blue. And uh, and then I understand you have another song that that kind of takes a a slightly different angle to uh, I am I am surrounded by depressing circumstances. Yes. I was thinking about the great uh, practice of wallowing in music. Mm -hmm. And then I, I wanted to think of anything that might counter that, any song that might counter that. And I think the best example is the Fifth Dimension's great hit, One Less Bell to Answer. This is a Mm. Burt Bacharach and Hal David song, those masters of the, you know, gradient emotion, the the kind of uh, nuanced and uh, disciplined expression of emotion. So Uh So many Dionne Warwick songs capture that. Um, but this right. song, what, just the lyrics are so, oh, oh, my God. You know, here's this woman. She no longer has to fry an egg for her lover. She, no, you know, no longer has to go to the door. That part always confused me, the first line, because why is he ringing the bell? He he lives there, right? <laughs> right. Is there a Pavlovian thing going on here? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it's all these things. One less man to pick up after. She's She is working so hard to be okay. And then she just can't. One less bell to answer. One less egg to fry. One less man 
The way in which Marilyn McCoo, who sings the lead vocal on this song, you know, she she shows us that that moment when she can no longer keep it together. You know, the, she just like hits that big chorus, and you're like, ah, oh, okay, thank goodness I can fall apart. The song gives you that. descends on that and and goes back into her state of trying to keep it together and then and then she just like you know loses it you know why did he leave me you know somebody please where did he go and she's just begging by the end it becomes like a like a classic blues or a classic soul song so i can see her in her beautiful house dress just crying (laughs) in the kitchen she makes a run for functionality. She makes a, a run for coping yeah. and makes it about halfway through her own song yeah. before hitting the wall. Yeah. And, you know, absolute kudos and all praise to Hal David, who writes, wrote the greatest lyrics and, you know, captured that, that moment in which your mind goes from coping to collapse so beautifully, uh, you know, you think of so many of his lyrics, Do You Know the Way to San Jose, or even Say a Little Prayer, even the happy songs, you know, there's still like this this tension in them, like, I'm a little lost. Oh, my goodness. I'm a lot more lost than I thought. That's kind of the message right. of all these songs. Right, right. The trace of melancholy that mm, goes all the way through it. That just it yeah. turns misty blue, John. What I don't know what happens. <laughs> Is making a song sad or depressing is that um is that almost a way of cheating if you're writing a song is <laughs> do, doesn't it seem much easier I, I i i was talking to uh jason isbell one time and i said do you think you could write a happy song in a minor key mm. and he said i don't i don't think i could write a happy song in any key oh that's interesting i I think that the best sad songs are very well modulated, even the wallowing songs, and require the same amount of kind of self control, self control from a writer. Um, mm-hmm. If there's, you know, there's bathos, there's intense sentimentality, but then there are those sad songs that are so precise. And I think one less bell to answer is a good example. But like Jason Isbell's song "Elephant," for example is so yes. restrained, you know, and it's about such a huge tragedy, but it's also about, you know, how everyone around this woman who is dying of cancer um, doesn't acknowledge the tragedy. So he has to be restrained in delivering it. So, hey, Jason, give yourself a little credit. And I know you can write a happy song, too. I've heard some. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny. What, what a lot of these have in common, Misty Blue and, and One Less Bell to Answer and even Elephant, there's... 
there's a specificity to them. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's not just I'm sad. It's I'm sad because this happened and then this happened as a result. Yes. And this is where I'm at. Completely. And, and it's, yeah. They, they really, they do their homework. Totally. And I mean, another great example of what you're talking about is, is the song My Mom by Chocolate Genius. Chocolate Genius, Mark Anthony Thompson, one of our great singer-songwriters, uh, released an amazing record called Black Music in 1998. They got five televisions in a house full of three. Look up on that fake fireplace, you know the bucktooth boys me. See that wood panel room, that's where I learned to drink. You see that hole in the wall, that was Seagram's I think. This song was on that record, and I had never heard a song about um, coping with a parent's descent into dementia before... I heard this song, and I've heard few since then. And I think that, again, is like what makes a sad, what can make a sad song great. Finding a subject, finding a story that is so specific and that someone, a listener, can say, oh my gosh, that's my experience, or, you know, uh, heaven forbid that become my experience. but that song in which he's detailing going to his, his mother's home, his family home, and remembering all these things, and then the, the ripping chorus, the heart-rending chorus, where he just says, and my sweet mom can't remember my name. I, just, I remember the first time I heard it, and I, I was just completely dissembled, you know, just the horror of what was going on. And how common is that now, you know? My sweet mom. She don't remember my name My mom She can't remember my name My mom Oh boy, that's it. That is a corker of a song. We, we were talking with um, Stephen Hyden, the, uh, the rock critic Stephen Hyden, and he, he drew a distinction between incredibly sad songs and songs that mirror depression itself, which it, he said in his case means he feels nothing. Mm. Um, are there songs that... <laughs> I brought up like mid-career Starship as possibly an example <laughs> of songs that make you feel nothing at all. Oh, is there a, wow. Is there a type of music or or a specific song that makes you feel just dead inside? Mm, Wow, that's you know, John. I love everything. I'm just a happy go lucky. No, I'm not. You love music, (laughs) but I I mean, I suppose you know. Here's another story about my unrequited love for Paul McCartney. When I was a child, I became obsessed with the Beatles, and um, I came to despise the song "Good Day Sunshine." Now, this isn't something that made me feel nothing at all. But it is a song that um, wasn't designed to make anyone feel sad. It's one of the, I mean, it literally has the line, I'm in love and it's a sunny day. It's like the happiest song he ever wrote. I felt so distressed that I was an unhappy, unpopular kid. Ah. And here's my love, Paul McCartney, happy with Jane Asher or Linda or whoever he was happy with at the time. And 
and that devastated me. So I don't think that's what you're, that doesn't mirror depression, but it just shows how, uh, you know, your unhappiness can come unexpectedly when you're listening to music. Right, right. Sad songs can make you feel better, but happy songs can make you feel worse. Absolutely. Especially if, you know, someone else is enjoying something that you wish you could enjoy. Oh, man. Well, Ann Powers, thank you so much for for joining us. I really hope you get your whole situation with Paul McCartney straightened out (laughs) at some point in your life. It's okay. I'm over you, Paul. (laughs) George was better looking anyway. (laughs) Oh, okay. Bold statement here on Depression Mode. Ann Powers, thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much. I need to laugh And when the sun is out Something I can laugh about I feel good In a special way I'm in love And it's a sunny day Good day sunshine I put together a playlist of every song mentioned on today's show. Got a link to that on our show page over at MaximumFun.org The holidays are very much upon us and you can shop for Depression Mode merchandise and merchandise for Lots and lots of Maximum Fun shows over at MaxFunStore.com. We've got Depression Mode mugs and shirts. We've got Depression Mode sweatpants. We've got a lot of things that say, I'm glad you're here on them, which is a, a great sentiment whether you're talking about the show or not. That's at MaxFunStore.com. Be sure to hit subscribe, give us five stars, write rave reviews. That gets the show out into the world where it can help more people. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline can be reached in the United States by calling or texting 988. It's free. It's available 24-7. Our Instagram and Twitter are both at DepressPod. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. A lot of good conversation happening over there. This topic of these depressing songs sparked a lot of dialogue and a lot of great suggestions over at the Preshies group on Facebook. Our Depression Mode newsletter is on Substack. Search that up. I'm on Twitter at John Moe, Instagram at John Moe. Also, please use our electric mail address to reach us, depressionmode at maximumfun.org. Hi, credits listeners. My pick, Dirt in the Ground by Tom Waits off the album Bone Machine. Actually, Cold Cold Ground off Frank's Wild Years is pretty good, too. Tom's got a lot of songs about the ground. Depression Mode is made possible by your contributions. Our production team includes Raghu Manavalan, Gabe Mara, Kevin Ferguson, and me. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our very uplifting theme song, Building Wings. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papuchik. I'm John Moe. Bye now. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing No one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer I just keep on dancing I'm Christina from Missouri And my reminder is that the new year does not require a new you. You are enough as you are. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.